You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. And uh, before I start, I just want to say thank you for everyone who has been praying for me as I come into this role. Thank you for all your support and your encouragements, your emails, your text messages, or just even coming up to me and telling me that you're praying uh, with me and for me. It's encouraging. And truly, when I see this, I, I see that this is a church of uncommon community because we don't see this outside of the church. So I just want to say thank you. You guys are so much loved by me. So let's jump right in. By the end of the book of Malachi, we see that the Jews have become a sinful, rebellious people. And for those of you who have been tracking with us, we remember that Malachi just repeatedly warning of God's wrath, his kindling wrath towards his people. So for the most of the Jews, we see them become complacent in their faith and so callous to their sin that Malachi's words, when he is warning them, they have absolutely no effect on their lives. We see them sacrificing blemished animals on the altar, men divorcing their wives and adopting their gods. And last week, we heard Pastor Brett uh, preach of their unfaithful tithing. Ultimately, this group, this group of Jews, they profane the name of the Lord of hosts, the one who commands heaven's armies, God. And then introduced in verses 16, we see that there is a small group of Jews, a faithful remnant, loyal to Yahweh. Those Jews, a God-fearing minority who were unwilling to compromise with sin. So in this passage that I have the tremendous honor of preaching to you this morning, it connects both the Old and the New Testament by showing us the failure of old Israel and the hope of new Israel through this faithful remnant that God promised to bless in 400 years through the coming Messiah. So before we dive in, please join me in declaring our need for the Lord that the Holy Spirit will just fill us and help us understand his word. So let's just bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father God, we praise you and we worship you. You are a holy God. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you have done on the cross for our sins. And Father, I pray that as we open up Malachi and we end this sermon series, Father, I pray that we wouldn't just leave as we came. And Father, I pray that you would help us to repent of our sins, to turn from our sins, to turn to you, because God is worth it. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So the end of chapter 3, we see that it describes the contrast between the pagan rebel majority and the holy God-fearing minority. We're going to read this in chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. And this is what it says. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said... It is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or walking as mourning before the Lord of hosts? 
and now be called the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. So the Lord of hosts, he says to the rebels, your word has been hard against me. And they say, how have we spoken against you or defamed you? So through Malachi, God answers those rebels in describing three sinful carnal attitudes held by Israel. These three sinful attitudes held by these rebels. So briefly, let's just look through each one of them. So the first one, it's this. It's vain to serve the Lord. It's vain to serve the Lord, and there's no profit in keeping his charge. So in other words, they're saying that there's no blessing on obedience, no, no blessing in, in serving the Lord or following his laws. They're saying that worship does not pay. Serving is a difficult life that I don't want to live, and it's hard, and there's no benefits, so I'm just not going to do it. That's the first thing. The second thing is this, that there's no profit in walking in mourning. There's no profit in walking in mourning. So the Jews, instead of mourning over their sin, they were indulging in their sin, and they were coddling their sin. They were loving their sin, and they wouldn't give it up for anyone, not for Yahweh. They were calloused, and there was no repentance. Second sinful attitude. The third one is this, that God does not care about sin. God does not care about sin, and in fact, he's tolerant of it. This is something that they would say. The arrogant and evildoers, they're actually so blessed. They're living their best lives. They're prosperous. You know, they even boldly taunt God with their sin. And you know what? There's no consequences that I see. So that must mean that God does not care, that there's no benefit in serving or worshiping the Lord, and sin doesn't matter, and God is tolerant of it. That's what they say. But church, does that sound familiar to you? Those three sinful, carnal attitudes? Sounds familiar to me. Sounds a lot like a lot of modern-day Christianity. Some of these people, some of these modern-day Christians, and I, I catch myself saying this myself sometimes too, so I have to repent. But they'd say stuff like this, you know what, I actually make up my own rules. I'm not a conservative Christian like you. I don't take the Bible literally. I mean, I like some things, but I throw the rest of the curb. I don't listen to everything. You know, as long as the government says that it's okay, then I could do it. And as long as the culture doesn't cancel me, then I'm okay with it. It's fine. Relax. We're not all like you. You know, one commentator, he said it like this, and I love it. He said, the yoke of Christ is easy. It's the yoke of the Antichrist that is heavy. The yoke of Christ is easy. It's the yoke of the Antichrist that is heavy. And it's, it's true, isn't it? It's true. It, it's humanly impossible to, to live this Christian life, to be on this narrow road if we're not going to Christ for rest. We need to go to Christ for rest. And that's a problem with the rebels and some of us today. We're not going to Christ for rest. We're going to our sin. And we're indulging in our sin. And when life gets hard, we go to our sin instead of going to God. But we see that there is another group in Israel. 
another faithful group, and let's read this together in verses 16 to 18. And for those of you who don't have your Bibles, there's, there should be a Bible in the back of the pews for you guys. So Malachi chapter 3, verses 16 to 18, and let's read this together. Then those who fear the Lord spoke with one another, and the Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before them of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Verses 18. That once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. So about that other group in Israel, unlike the rebels, this faithful remnant, we are told, Number one, they fear the Lord. They fear the Lord. Number two, they talked to each other and stayed in fellowship together, and they wrote a book of remembrance. And number three, they esteemed the name of God. They esteemed the name of God. So in verse seven, God calls this group, and I love this, God calls this group his treasured possession, and he says that he will spare them. And one day, he will make a distinction between the wicked and the righteous. And I think that's the point of this passage, to draw a distinction between the wicked and the, and the righteous, between those who serve God and between the ones who don't. So when was this going to happen? When was this distinction going to happen? So let's just look with me in chapter 4. Chapter 4, let's just read the whole chapter from 1 to verse 6. For behold, the day is coming burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave, it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts." Verses 4, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come down, lest I come and strike the land with the, with the decree of utter destruction. So Harvest Niagara, brothers and sisters, everyone who is here and everyone online, we need to ask ourselves a question. Am I a rebel or am I part of God's faithful remnant? Am I a rebel or am I part of God's faithful remnant? In this passage, we see the real difference between the wicked and the righteous. So what are those things? What are those things? Number one, the righteous, they fear the Lord. The righteous fear the Lord. So majority of the Jews, you know, they just decided that it was vain to wholeheartedly serve the Lord, to worship the Lord. You know, they were even quite bold. They were quite bold in saying that there's no profit in serving God or worshiping God. And it's crazy. It's crazy. How could they have decided this? Well, it's because they were disappointed with God. 
They were full of pride. You know, the rebels, they thought that they knew better than God, the one who created them. They thought they knew better than him. They thought that they knew best and that their way was the best way. And because of all their worship and all their, 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 their tithing or whatever it is, they thought that God was not giving them what they deserved. They thought that God wasn't blessing them. They were disillusioned and they didn't trust God. And as a result, they were giving God their second best. They were giving God their second best. They weren't serving or obeying God with any type of passion or zeal. And their decision to serve God was made on the basis that God was going to bless them if they served him. They'd say, they'd say this, God, are you kidding me? Are you kidding? My family is way holier than that family. How did they harvest a better crop than us? Are you kidding me? We deserve so much more than them. We're holy. So, all right, if you're not going to bless us and you're going to bless them, then have it your way. Have it your way. I'm just going to sacrifice a blemished animal on the altar. Have it your way, God. Or they'd say something like, they'd say something like this. Are you kidding me, God? You're not going to bless me financially? You're not going to give me that raise that I deserve because I'm so holy? You're going to give it to them? All right, if you give it to them, then I'm not going to wholeheartedly worship you on Sunday mornings. I'm not going to give you the praise and the glory that you deserve because, I mean, because you're not going to bless me. All right, God. Kind of like those friends who are your bestest of friends when they hear you opening up a pack of gum and when you're crackling, right, and you don't give them a piece, they're like, oh, yeah, you're not my friend anyways, whatever. (laughs) The rebels were selfish. They were selfish. They worshiped God in his hand. They worshiped his hand rather than God himself. But the faithful remnant, they feared the Lord. They served God not because of what they could have get, because of what God was going to give to them, but because of who God is. So for us, harvest, we worship God because of who he is. He is the God of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He deserves our worship because he is God, because we are in awe of him, because we fear and revere him. Can you turn with me to Job 28? Job 28, and it's right before Psalms. Oh, Job 28. So just context in this book. We have this prosperous, God-fearing man named Job, righteous man, loves the Lord, fears the Lord. And as this book unfolds, we see that his life is plagued, is consumed with pain and suffering. He really goes through it. And to name a few, he goes from losing his family, all of his possessions, and his friends. And those friends are convinced that all of his affliction is a result of God's judgment towards him because of sin that they thought that he had in his life. But with the complete perspective of this book, we know, we know that Job was actually blameless and righteous before the Lord. The thing about Job Despite his affliction, he still feared God. He feared the Lord. So Job chapter 28, verses 23. And read along with me. And this is Job writing right here. He says, God understands the way to it, for he knows his place. 
for he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for, for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. Verses 28. And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to, and to turn away from evil is understanding. Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. So Job, he understood it. He made the connection that the rebels in Malachi couldn't, the connection that some of us cannot connect. So even in tribulation, Job still had the perspective of who God is. He knew that God's wisdom wouldn't always be revealed to him, that God's ways were higher than his ways, that one may not always know the reasons for their sufferings or the things that we're going to. And this is how Job responded. Job worshipped God. He avoided sin and left his unanswered questions to God in trusting submission. I'll repeat the last one. He left his unanswered questions to God in trusting submission. So Job's fear for the Lord, it was constant. It was constant in prosperity and in tribulation. The righteous, the righteous fear the Lord. That's point one. The second thing is this. The righteous, they pursue eternal rewards. The righteous pursue eternal rewards. So a majority of the Jews, they concluded that keeping God's law was not beneficial, that there was no reward for obedience and no punishment for disobedience. They thought that their behavior had absolutely no impact on their lives. And this is what happened. So Israel, they saw the nations around them benefiting even when they were living their lives of sin. They saw that people were getting away with all of their sin and even prospering. They saw that the, the grass was greener on the other side. And like the attitude of the great Kevin Durant, you know, if you can't beat them, might as well join them. And as a result, many Israelites, they embraced their sin. They coddled their sin. And after giving into their temptations, they had no regrets. Their consciences was sealed. That's the attitude of a rebel. They see that there's no profit in obeying God and, and, and no, no cost at disobeying. So honestly, let's just do whatever we want. Let's just not even care about God's laws, God's ways. Let's just have a carefree attitude towards sin. Let's, you know, relax with trying to live a holy and set-apart life. Let's just live for right now. Let's do anything and everything to gratify our flesh for the short term. Those are the rebels. But what did the faithful remnant do? They, they got together, they esteemed each other, they affirmed each other, and gathered to write a book of remembrance. So what was this book that they wrote? Well, there's an example of something similar in the book of Esther. So just a little, little context. So Mordecai, Queen Esther's cousin, he found out there was a plot to kill the king of Persia. So Mordecai, after warning the king of the scheme against him, Mordecai's service was recorded in this book. It was, it was recorded in this Chronicle of Kings. So this Chronicle of Kings, or a book of remembrance, it was a book that recorded the righteous acts of righteous people. It was like a textbook of that time. And, and years later, 
Years later, the king of Persia could not sleep. So what did he do? He opened up this book and read through it. Okay, so it turns out, turns out there was a plot to kill Mordecai. But because of the recorded act of service that the king just read, the king, he made sure that not only Mordecai's life was preserved, but he actually also rewarded Mordecai in the end. So what's the point of this story? Well, the point is for the righteous to know that God remembers. The righteous know that God remembers, and that's what the faithful remnant in Israel did. They, they got together, they affirmed that God loves them and cares for them and rewards those who serve him, and they wrote down a record of their faithful service to their king. Why? Because God remembers, and God is keeping a record. So for us, Harvest Niagara, we need to remember to take our sins seriously, to take our sins seriously, especially the ones behind closed doors, especially the ones in our thoughts, the ones that no one else knows except us. We need to take those sins seriously because the thing is, God knows and God is keeping a record. And we know that God rewards those who are true to him and, and those rewards aren't necessarily rewards that we're going to see here on earth. Those are rewards that we're going to see in heaven. Amen. So our lifestyles it will have an internal impact and consequence. So we lay up our treasures in heaven today as we serve Christ here on earth. And church, despite what the culture may say to us, know this, that God does not tolerate our sin. God does not tolerate our sin. He doesn't dismiss it or ignore it. And his love, it doesn't diminish the gravity of our sin. Harvest, we don't and we can't live perfect lives. But we focus on the call that we have and to, to remember that God will reward those he has promised who faithfully serve and live for him. The righteous, they pursue eternal rewards. The third point is this. The righteous, they esteem the name of God. The righteous esteem the name of God. So it was understood that Israel, that their purpose was to worship God. Their purpose was to bring honor and glory to God, the God who brought them out of Egypt. So when the people strayed from God's law, they knew that the name of God, it was tarnished and repentance was required. So what each person would do, they would mourn their sin and they would repent. So essentially what they would do is they would grieve the fact that they sinned against the God of the universe, the God who rescued them out of Egypt by fasting, and they would actively have their sin and turn away from it and turn to God. And as a result, the name of the Lord was esteemed. His name was exalted and lifted high. But here's the issue. Israel now, they were asking themselves, like, why do we even do it? Why should we even repent of our sin? Like, we don't get anything out of it. Like, why go around fasting and grieving for something that everyone else was doing without any consequence? And as a result, their consciences were sealed. They began to question God's justice and his character, saying that the arrogant are blessed. Sinners prosper, and they put God to the test, and they escape all of their consequences. So in other words, they were questioning the character, the justice, 
the power and the holiness of God. But look, look at the behavior of the faithful remnant. In verse 16, it says that they esteemed his name. What the faithful remnant had remembered that their behavior it had effects on God's reputation. That the name of God, his reputation, it rose and it fell with either their sin or their obedience. The faithful remnant, they knew this, and they longed to see God glorified in their lives. This is the passion of the righteous. So this group, this group of people, they feared the Lord and they esteemed his name. They got it. They understood it. They understood that their behavior would reflect the reputation of God. So they did what they were supposed to do. They mourned for their sin. They repented of their sin. And they brought God esteem. They brought him honor and glory. And they exalted his name. The righteous mourned their sin and, the Holy, and allowed the Holy Spirit to bring them to good grief so that they could be changed. Would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7? 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And if I can get to it without the fan blowing my Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And we're going to read Paul writing from verses 8 to 10. And it says this, for even, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while as it is, I rejoice, not because you are grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. Verses 10, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And I'll reread verses 10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So Paul here, he rejoiced that his letter brought the Corinthians church to good grief. You know, mourning for sin is a good thing when it leads to repentance. It leads to a life that blesses and esteems God and lifts his name on high. The Lord uses a godly sorrow towards us to sanctify our lives and to honor him. And as we turn back to Malachi, we look towards the end of the passage. And then there is something else that was hinted here. Malachi, he speaks about a day which God is going to act so from chapter 3, verses 17, to the end of chapter 4, to the end of the Old Testament, Malachi speaks about that day about five times. That day is how God will respond to those two groups of people. On that day, he is going to redeem his treasured possession, the faithful saints. The Lord of hosts will redeem his people, and the Son of Righteousness will bring, a, they, it will bring healing, and he will peer to his saints. So chapter 4, it tells us that there are two big things that are going to happen. And let's read about those two big things in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And it says this, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. That day is coming that shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave neither root nor branch. 
Verses 2, but for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. So Israel didn't know it then, but because we have the New Testament, we know that the Son of Righteousness was actually Jesus, who by his death and resurrection, he brought healing to Israel. He defeated Satan, he conquered death, and granted us forgiveness and transformed Israel into the church. And at the same time, he unleashed the blast furnace of God's anger for Israel when they rejected Jesus as their Messiah. For the unfaithful, the wrath of a holy God on his rebellious people, just as Jesus predicted. But for the faithful remnant, perfect healing and restoration comes through the work of Jesus Christ, our Messiah. So how does this apply? Church, today, how should we respond to these things? When we we look at chapter 4, look at what we just read, we see that this is the gospel. This is the gospel. This is good news. This is the best news that we have ever heard in our whole lives. This is Jesus coming to die on the cross for our sins. This is good news. So we share it. So I just recently got engaged to uh, Sydney, my, <laughs> who whistled? <laughs> my beautiful bride-to-be. And when I got engaged, I was just telling everyone. I was talking about it all the time. And I was, say I was talking to a friend, and I was like plotting ways mid-conversation to like figure out like, how can I bring Sydney into this conversation that I just got engaged? And I would always do that. Why? Because I love Sydney. And I'm so excited to marry Sydney. Because good news, I'm going to get married. That's crazy, right? But in the same way, us Christians who love God and fear God, we should be sharing the gospel. We should be telling people and plotting ways, plotting ways to just tell people about Jesus. To not care what people are going to think, wow, you told us you got engaged already, oh my goodness. Like, yes, I'll continue talking about it because I'm excited because I love Sydney. But we should also be so excited to tell people about Jesus because he's our savior and he loves us. To consider the God of the universe, the Lord of hosts, who are so big and we're, we're but dust. He loves us. He cares for us. He wants us to come to him for rest. We share the gospel. We share the gospel. And when we do, we esteem his name. God is so pleased when we do that. So church, what are the things that characterize the righteous? Number one, the righteous fear the Lord. The righteous fear the Lord. For us, we worship God and we serve him not from what we can get from him, but because who he is, because he's the God of the universe because he loves us. Number two, the righteous pursue eternal rewards. You know, we never forget that God is a rewarder of those who diligently serve him. So we lay up treasures in heaven and we focus on the life that's to come rather than this life. And number three, church, we esteem the name of the Lord. The righteous esteem the name of the Lord. We have a passion for God's glory and for his honor. And we respond to that 
by worshiping God. Not as slaves, but as sons and daughters of Christ. And because this is such good news, we talk about it. We're so excited to share it with our friends and with our families and people on the streets. We love God and we want to share God with the world. So in the beginning of this message, we asked ourselves a question. So I want to ask ourselves that same question again. Am I part of God's faithful remnant? Or am I a rebel? Which one are you? Which one are you? Maybe you're part of God's faithful remnant, in which case, I praise the Lord for you. And we know that our lives are nothing close to perfect, but we know that there's so much grace, and the Lord is continuing to sanctify us, to make us look more like Christ. I praise the Lord for you, brother or sister, and I'm praying that you would not grow weary in doing what is good, because it is so hard. This is a difficult life, but it's so good. And it's so worth it. And the Lord is pleased with us. And I'm praying that you would continue to call sin for what it is. Sin is sin. There's no going around it. Sin put Jesus on the cross. He was on the cross for our sins, for my sins, for your sins. No matter what people call us, no matter what the world will think of us, you know, they could call us old-fashioned, closed-minded, bigoted even. Guys are so with the past, like, come with the new. But this is what the Lord says in 1 Peter chapter 2. If you guys could turn with me, I know I'm going all the way around, but let's do it anyways. This is what the Lord says in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. The Lord... This is what he thinks of us. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Verses 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have received, once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is what God thinks of us, the faithful remnant. And we even remember that God calls us his pride, his his possession. He loves us. God cares for us. Maybe you're part of God's faithful remnant. But maybe you're not. Maybe you're, you're not a Christian. You've never repented of your sins but you know that the Lord is working in your heart. He's convicting you right now and today, in which case I'd urge you to not ignore the Lord's call, to not ignore God's call for repentance in your life. Or maybe there are some of us here. You would say maybe once you were a Christian, but you fell away. And like the Israelites and the Jews in the book of Malachi, You saw the world living a life that was not pleasing to God. You saw that they were indulging in their sin and that they were even prospering. So as a result, you, in turn, 
you fell into Satan's traps. You indulged in your sin, but you know, you know that sin does not satisfy, and you're so tired, and you want to come home. So my friend, if this is you right now, come home. The Lord is inviting you to be part of his faithful remnant. My friends, repent of your sins, for the kingdom is at hand. Turn to Jesus today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We worship you. You are the God of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So we thank you for this word today. We thank you for how you are going to help us apply it into our lives, God. God, in and of ourselves, we are completely unable to fear you, to pursue eternal rewards, and to esteem your name, God. Father, I pray that you would help us to run to you instead of our sin, God. It's so easy to indulge in our sin, and it's so hard to just truly obey you. So, Father, I pray that you do a supernatural work in us, a work that only you can do. We love you, Lord, and we thank you that this is all so worth it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.